Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Paul Rupp. I've been meaning to get in contact with Paul since I briefly got introduced to him at NATA this past summer uh, to talk about whatever we were going to talk about athletic training, but then Paul wrote an article in the NATA News about social media and AT ethics and being somewhat involved with AT social media uh, is something I wanted to talk to him about because I can see where things go quickly um, with that and unfortunately it's not always in a positive light so I really just wanted to dig into what the uh, committee on ethics does uh, within the NATA and what they can do what their powers are or not uh, in terms of just trying to help keep things ethical especially as it pertains to members of the NATA so really enlightening conversation I learned a ton um, honestly makes me want to volunteer um, to try and be a part of that at some point in the future so uh, maybe you'll get the same feeling from there he talks a little bit about how that committee is structured uh, so we hope you enjoy that this episode is brought to you by Wave on Health. Uh, if you check out episode 152 with Adam Halpern, he talks about what Wave on Health is and the goal and the shift in care for athletic trainers to provide um, in the future and how Wave on Health is looking to provide that. Super insightful. Could be a really good option for a smaller school or someone a school that's having a hard time filling a position where you could get some backup, some athlete management to help augment what you're doing uh, without having to try and find another AT, which is not always easy. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. We can't thank them enough for what they do for us and the profession. Uh, always coming up with new ideas. Looking forward to what they're coming up for the new year. Um, always check them out for your uh, inventory needs. But without further ado... Please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat we are on with paul rupp who i've connected with on social media prior to this last nata but then was able to connect with a little bit face to face you had just a couple things going on and i think that is the way that nata is for a lot of people just running around but um paul was recommended to give uh for us to give one of our athletic training daily journals to i believe by kim barber foss recommended you so we connected in a hotel lobby after you had a I believe a committee meeting and I was running off somewhere else but thankfully yes. it worked uh, but then we had been planning I had been planning to reach out to you and set up an episode we hadn't quite got to it but in the most recent edition of the NITA news and we're recording this at the end of November um, in 2023 uh, Paul wrote an article about uh, social media and ethics and athletic training and I read it, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people did. Uh, I sort of, I'll say, not actively involved in AT Twitter, but generally keep an eye on just kind of everything that's going on, you know, just kind of get a sense of where everybody is and get ideas and whatnot. But uh, we, all, Mon- we, all like the, we all like the drama. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but asked him on to just elaborate on uh, some of the things from that article uh, and just talk a little bit more in depth on it. But before we get into all that, I just wanted to turn it over to you uh, to kind of 
fill in your background um, and even kind of allude a little bit of like why you, you wrote the article. Um, he's also the chair of the professional ethics committee for the NATA. So that pulls that all in a little bit, but I'll stop talking and turn it over to you. No worries. So yeah, I did. I, I'm a New Yorker by heart. Uh, I grew up in Southern New York. Uh, I did my undergrad at East Stroudsburg University, small D2 school, just north of Philly. Um, I got my master's at Syracuse. Uh, and there I worked with Tim Neal and Don Lowe. Um, they were both very active in the AATA and giving back. And um, I really learned that from them. And then from Syracuse as a GA, went to St. John's University and worked there with uh, Ron Linfont. And he gave back to the profession. He was very active giving back to the profession. Um, so so my mentors all were actively giving back to the profession. I learned that strongly from them. And uh, so I, as soon as I could in moved to Virginia. I've been at the high school, uh, Oakton High School for 24 years now. Um, and right away, working with John Alnquist, uh, and that name is very big in the uh, secondary school setting. Uh, he was the secondary school chair and NATA, and all those members are NATA Hall of Famers, District Hall of Famers, State Hall of Famers. Uh, so very active in the profession. And I really, that was really impressed upon me uh, throughout my career and all my mentors. Um, so the opportunity came working with John. Uh, I've been going around the state of Virginia doing the wrestling weight control program and educating people on that. I'm on the VHSL SMAC committee um, and the wrestling rules committee. Um, I'm also on the um, Virginia <laughs> Association Government Affairs Committee. Um, and as you mentioned, the uh, Committee of Professional Ethics, I was a D3 representative uh, for six years, four years. And then the opportunity, and I became chair when Susie Kuhn stepped down. So she and I presented the last NATA meeting about the changes to the code of ethics and, and some statistics. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about those a little bit. Um, but watching, um, as, as a COPE chair, a lot of uh, our most recent cases have had to do with social media. And for lack of better words, there's a couple groups of, again, lack of better words, donkeys, who uh, their opinion is is all that really matters to them. And if you don't agree with them, much like society and, and any any subset of a society reflects upon its society. So the NATA and, and the athletic training world reflects upon the modern society. And unfortunately, we got to the point where uh, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong and a bad person. Um, we've gotten away from being able to disagree on points um, without attacking each other. And um, the last change of the code of ethics, I believe that was in 20, I think the 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 changes were added in 2021, uh, but didn't get approved by the board until June of 22. Um, so they've been they've been in place for about a year, um, address some of that and, and you know, as society changes, um, so do our standards a little bit. Um, so the code of ethics has changed in some of the language that allows us to adjudicate those people that attack each other and make the profession look bad. Um, the COPE is designed to, the, we've got three tasks. We are to protect and we protect the membership, the, the badge of the NATA and the patients we serve. Uh, we want to eliminate um uh, yeah, not eliminate. I guess I guess that would be a bad word. Um, we want to remove um, those members who make really bad decisions from 
A the N A T A. That's all we can do is is address our membership, but we share our adjudications with the BOC and state legislators. So if somebody's violating the code of ethics, it's likely they're they're violating the BOC as well as their state licensure. Um, so we share our adjudications with those boards, so that something that's, that's really egregious, um, maybe they they lose their license, they lose their their ability to practice. Um, some of our violations, like the 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 social media violations, those are not bad violations. They, those are people that need maybe a little more education or just a stern talking to and um, change the habits a little bit. Um, we also are tasked with educating our membership on the code of ethics and how to practice ethically um, and, and to adjudicate those cases uh, that are possible violations of code of ethics. So those are our three tasks. And um, we've got a committee of 26 people, 27 people. Um, and there's, there's a, there's a methodology in those adjudications. Um, and 27 people sounds like a big committee, but really, um, they're overtasked because there are so many violations ranging from, you know, and, and these are cases we've seen in the news and I'm sure you've all seen them on social media where, uh, an athletic trainer touches a, a, an athlete or a patient inappropriately. Uh, an athletic trainer is out drinking alcohol with minors, you know, and, and you kind of wonder who thinks that's a good idea, you know, and, and but it happens um, all the way down to cases. Like I said, the, the social media cases, those aren't the worst cases in the world. That's just people making a bad decision. And um, sometimes they get a little too aggressive, too passionate about what they're writing about or you know it's easy to be aggressive on a keyboard you know we often say things on a, on a keyboard that we wouldn't say face to face um and sometimes we just have to address that and have a conversation um so that led me all what we've seen on social media led me to write that article um and i um i'm doing a presentation including the um um education pieces um, at the VATA, Virginia Athletic Training Association meeting in January with Heather Murphy. And then she and I are going to present on the same topic at the NATA this year. That's awesome. I think that will be needed and be very good. Um, all kinds of questions stemming off of that. But before we jump into all of it, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the statistics, just of like the amount of things coming in, because you mentioned again, a committee of 27 to a lot of people, including myself, sounds almost overwhelming to just try and help, you know, manage 27 people on a committee. But you also mentioned that with the amount that come in, it's it's busy. So the way the adjudication process works. So let's say, Joel, you you say, Paul, Ron, you go to the COPE page and there is a form you can fill out that submits a, a claim, a violation claim of the code of ethics um, to our committee. And it goes to the staff liaison that I work closely with. Um, she then looks at the case and submits it to me. And I, ba I take a very basic look at it. Is this a case that, you know, it's just somebody that's pissed off at somebody and um, they're, they're making a, a bad claim. Like for instance, um, two power five schools that are rivals one school uh, put in a claim against the other school. Um, the one, the, the school B, they were winning big in the football game. They were the last minute of the game. They had a senior that tore their ACL. 
they put them on the field for the last minute. School A claimed that that was inappropriate uh, care for a patient and submitted a claim to the NATA Code of Ethics. We looked at that and went, no, this is this is a grievance. This is not this is not a violation. So that it didn't go any further. Um, 99.5% of the cases go further. If there's even a thought of a question, I want it to be uh, discussed in a committee. So it first goes to a preliminary review panel, PRP, and that's two of our members that are not um, in the same district as the uh, respondent or the person the claim is against. Um, and they look at it on its face value. So face value, all the facts and what is reported to us are true, is that a violation of code of ethics? If, if it, the answer is no, then the case drops right there. But if the answer is yes, then it goes to a judiciary panel, and that's a panel of three of our members that will adjudicate. So they, they investigate. They go into um, interviewing witnesses. They interview the respondent. If it, if it's a court case, they'll look at the court records. They collect mu as much evidence as possible and then decide if there was a violation of the Code of Ethics. And if so, what are the consequences for that? Could be anywhere from complete removal uh, from the NATA and you're never, ever welcome back to a simple uh, private censure. It's just basically a note in your file and, and anything in between, including educational pieces. So we've assigned you know, six, four hours of education. You got to go to the NATA um, continuing education website and, you know, watch six hours of ethics, uh, personal conduct, things like that. Um, there's a public censure, um, a suspension of membership and a revocation, revoke, removal from membership. Um, there is an opportunity to appeal. So the, there's an appeal panel, and that's four members. Uh, my that would include myself, the um, a the board of directors liaison, um, one of our committee members, and a member at large. And we basically review the judiciary panels. What they do, and if they did everything on the up and up, and everything is is appropriate, then the case stands. If not, then we may send it back to be. Um, re-adjudicated. If a member is um, removed from membership, they do have a chance to appeal that after uh, three years. So they can, they can, they can apply for re uh, member reinstatement ship, um, as well as those people who um, have committed a felony. So when you renew your membership, you got to check the box. I have not committed a felony or I have. Those that have um, in both those cases, the people that are applying for membership or those that have uh, admitted they committed a felony, again, that there's another um, of eight people, including just a member from from the standing membership, and we review the cases, just looking at um, what the person has done to uh, re remediate themselves, um, how they give back to society, and are these people we want as a member of the NATA. If so, they become members. If not, um, they're still not allowed in the membership. So, so as you can see, there's four different committees that our members can be part of. And again, we try and we try and um, omit members that may have a conflict of interest. So you and I, Joel, we know each other. If somebody filed a claim against you, you said something on social media they didn't like. I wouldn't be able to be on any of those committees because I know you now. So um, I would have to recuse myself. So that way there was no conflict of interest. 
Um, so you can see that that narrows that 27 people down. Um, we at any time for any one case, we could use uh, seven different members of our committee. So that's that's a third. Of, oh, it's almost a third of our committee just on one case. Sure. So you can see how it adds up quickly. Um, some of the statistics now, I haven't looked at the statistics. So Susan, when I was a, uh, at large, uh, chair at large, um, Susie, myself and our, and Stephanie Littlefield, our staff liaison, we went through every case back to 1994 and we compiled statistics based on the age of the respondent, um, what setting they worked in, how old they were. Um, how severe the case was, what was the um, consequences. Uh, majority of the violations are uh, secondary school and college university. Um, I think that's like 70% of the cases. Um, I believe it's like 40% of the cases are 21 to 30 year old people. So it's our early members that are at the secondary or university setting. Um, now, we're, like I said, I work in wrestling in the state of Virginia. If one coach feels another coach has violated the rules, they've got to turn them in. Uh -huh. Much like our membership, you got to turn each other in. So I think those statistics may be a little misleading because I see with our wrestling coaches, you know, if a young wrestling coach commits a violation, they get turned in. But the old guy that's been around for 35, 40 years, uh, that he's that he's old school. That's just the way he is. He doesn't understand technology. He, he used to do the rubber suit. So it, that's just the way he is. It's okay. As well as, well, if I turn him in, he's going to be mad at me and he's not going to, his school, he won't wrestle my school. Sure. And I don't want that to happen. So those people tend not to get turned in. The young professionals, they get turned in. The old guys, they don't get turned in. And I wonder how much of that is happening in our membership as well. You know, the, the new members, the young professionals, well, they need to learn a lesson because they just don't know. The old people, ah, uh, that that's just the way they are. You know, they're grumpy. They, you know, they cuss out. They, they, they yeah, they grab ass, and that's okay because that's just the way they are. They don't mean anything by it. Yeah, maybe they do, and we need to turn those people in as well. But you know, our that's I'm just I can only look at what our numbers show. Sure. Um, but I kind of think about those things and how much, um, how possible is it that some of our older professionals aren't getting turned in for committing the same violation the younger professionals are just because those younger professionals need to learn a lesson and those old guys that's just the way they are you know um so so those, those are some of the things we're looking at and that's kind of why um heather and i are going to talk at the nata and the vata about incorporating ethics into the early um the entry-level master's education program and not so much that we think that they need to create a class because there's enough classes, right? right? And more and more of our proficiencies are getting added in. Um, but uh, how long have you been practicing, Joel? Uh, 13, 14 years. Okay, so you, you've probably been in long enough when a patient comes into you and says, my knee hurts, you just grab their knee and do what you do, what you do right? Because you know what you're doing. Um, especially if you're dealing with a high school athlete or a younger college athlete, They've never been injured before. Do they know where you're putting your hands and why you're putting your hands? So why is your if you're if you're doing a Lockman's and your hand is on their inner thigh, 
Are you touching them appropriately? Do they understand what you're doing? So really kind of thinking through those things. Mm-hmm. Um, are we are we talking with our patients and explaining why are we doing what we're doing so that they understand and they feel more comfortable? Right. And and less likely to file a claim. You know, and maybe they should file a claim, but um, you know, how many claims are filed that, you know, an, an athletic trainer put their hands where it needs to be because we need to palpate the anatomy. Um, but the patient didn't know, was offended, uh, was upset, and you know they feel violated, and rightfully so. So you know, so I want to I want to encourage our our preceptors and our um, education programs to maybe talk to the student athletic trainers about voicing what they're doing, talking through what they're doing with their patients, so the patient feels more comfortable. Yeah, that's one personally. I, I, not so much my current role, but previous role is a lot of soft tissue work and ART type stuff. And it, it's really effective, but to loosen up some areas, you're basically got your hand on somebody's butt, like, you right. know, to work in there. And so that was always with people is just like, Hey, as part of this, this is what I'd like to do. This is what's going to be happening. Are you cool with that? Right. If we don't want to, we can, I can easily go show you how to do it on a foam roller, you know, and, and kind of mimic what we're doing or some version of that. And, um, just always to kind of get that verbal, you know, agreement that this is, it was understood, or if I was going to have to get in an area where we're going to be pretty close, we can come up with alternatives if, but, and again, just saying that if there are all are alternatives, maybe start there first. So, yeah, I and, totally and, agree. And are you doing that in a room by yourself with a female patient as you're a male um, versus a room full of athletes that somebody can see what you're doing? Right. And, you know, less likely for that person to feel uncomfortable. For know? sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The, for as much as an open area can be a pain, it can also be really <laughs> a good advantage as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, you kind of referenced this, but I just wanted to double check on clarification. Is everything that comes to you all through reporting of things or is the group kind of, you know, not not actively like you're going and like scrubbing out data, but if somebody on the committee or, you know, just happens to see something on social media, whatever group it may be. Is that something that can get reviewed without a formal complaint? Yeah, so, or how, so yeah. we, we do. Get, so I think a large majority of our complaints come in through um, newspaper articles, social media. So you may post, Hey, did you see this athletic trainer in Virginia? Um, they're, they're in the newspaper for, um, inappropriately touching an athlete and they they're getting fired from their job well we take that and we we automatically put in a a claim against them um sometimes we get claims from like i said there's a reciprocation from the boc and state practice acts so we get um notifications from the boc or the the maryland uh board of uh, medicine where that that's where their licensure is held we'll get a notification from them that say hey Paul Rupp, uh, we, we were suspending Paul Rupp's license um, for violation of our code of ethics. You might be, want to be aware of that. And then we'll open up an investigation of our own. Pertaining a little bit more to social media, because that was you know a lot of what your article focused on. Sure. If you could speak in kind of whatever generalities or specifics you feel like you can, you know, what do you commonly see specific in that realm? Because I know, again, just in my own kind of keeping on it, like things can get heated quickly, unfortunately. Is it 
what, I guess uh, to not even try and pigeonhole, just what is commonly, you know, the reporting that you see from people or things that really catch your guys' attention? You know, is it direct name calling? Is it just inferring that someone's, you know, just wrong? Like, so, so the the way know. the way the 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 um, code of ethics is worded, and I'm I'm gonna paraphrase it a bit. Um, basically, if you're attacking a member or making the NATA look bad, those are violations of the code of ethics. Um, so, you know, kind of a somewhat of a touchy subject in in social media right now. As Joel, you could say, you know, hey, I've had great success putting my athletes in an ice bath after workouts. And I come in and type behind you, Joel, you're you're, I'm going to use politically correct words. You're a donkey. You don't know what you're talking about. You should stick to doing podcasts and stop treating patients because you're hurting people. Okay, that's an attack on you uh, and inappropriate. That would be a violation of, of the code of ethics. Okay. I could also say, hey, Joel, have you seen recent research? I don't think the ice is the best option. Uh, you may want to check out some other some literature and maybe there might be a better course of action. So we can we can disagree. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I can do that without attacking you. Um, we have too many people that feel it's okay to attack you for, for your opinion professionally and, and your your um, philosophy on treatments. And, and we need to get away from that. Then the problem is, I call you a donkey. I say, Joe, you're a dumbass. You don't know what you're talking about. And Joe Smith next door, um, the next state over, he jumps and goes, yeah, Joel, you're a dumbass. Have you not seen any of the research? And then some of your friends may come in and say, Paul, you're a dumbass. You don't know what you're talking about. Joel's a great athletic trainer. Leave him alone, you dumbass. And so now we're calling each other names. And not only have I committed a violation, but those other two people have too. So sometimes somebody will file a claim against me for attacking you. And when we look at the string of who said what, well, there's three other people in there that, that get uh, a claim filed against them as well. And so sometimes, like I, like we were talking about, where do our where do our uh, um, reports come in? Sometimes it's our it's our uh, PRP, our preliminary panel. They're reviewing these kind of cases, and they're saying, oh, no, this person also was a donkey, and this person was a donkey, and that person was a donkey." So they'll file claims against those people as well. Yeah, I have this conversation with a lot of other people, and we've talked about it a little bit, even on the podcast with a few guests that the unwillingness to accept nuance in anything that we do and just that anything has to be either one or the other there's no middle when the whole world basically everything operates in the middle with very few on the extremes and i just the unwillingness to sometimes just sit back and realize there's nuance in everything and it's hard to put into 280 characters exactly and, right. and that's the other thing is is we're, we're we got to put into 280 characters what we're really thinking. So you may post something and you're abbreviating something, and I can completely misread it. And and, and my, you can't really my, read tone through text either. So exactly, exactly. So so my statement coming at you may look aggressive, but I didn't intend it that way. Sure. But now the other five people that are piling in that conversation either attacking me, supporting you, or vice versa, um, they're taking that tone that wasn't even intended. You know? So, yeah, it, it's tough going through social media. I think, I think a lot of us need to step back and just take a breath and, and just be civil to each other. And it's okay to disagree. 
it's okay to have different philosophies and sharing those philosophies without the other person being a horrible human being. Agreed there. Um, kind of going to the next question, and I, just as an example, you know, things I've tried to use is that, you know, I've prefaced things with, I'm honestly asking just to ask, to just <laughs> use it, or like not, you know, even starting with not questioning, just asking, you know, just mm -hmm. not to pick a Trying fight. to learn. Yeah. Right. And I've also found, you know, a lot of times if you ask somebody a thoughtful question, you know, not just questioning them, but actually trying to understand, you can diffuse people pretty quick because they may not have totally intended to say what they said or like you, like you were just referencing, it's hard to get it, you know, all that nuance into so few characters that before it blows up into a gigantic thing, let's just take a step back and go through but that to my questions, you know, just from what you've seen, because you've seen a lot of it, thoughts or recommendations on what athletic trainers can do when they see or are part of maybe some of this questionable or unethical behavior um, that might keep, you know, allow them to engage and interact, but keep them off of your guys' radar um, and having to go through an ethics hearing. You know, so, some of it is... Um... If you see something that is egregious, somebody is really attacking somebody, file a claim, go to the NATA website, go to the um, Committee of Professional Ethics page, and there's a link there where you can file a claim and fill out a form. Um, but sometimes it's just a matter of saying, hey, Jewel, I, I don't think it was meant that way. Take a step back, take a breath, and and think about what you're typing in there. And sometimes that that that's enough. Um, now, Joel may come back and say, you're a dumbass too, because you don't know what you're talking about either. Okay, now now we now we need to do something about Joel. Joel needs to be addressed. The trick to that too is how many of the members in social media are not members of the NATA. And if they're not members of the NATA, there's not much we can do. And we've gotten right. claims filed against certain individuals, um, but they're not members. And there's not much we can do about that. Um, we flag it. So if they do try and apply later for membership, then we'll then we file file the complaint and we go through the investigation but you know if they're not a member not a whole lot we can do and that and that's not just social media like um if you're practicing without a license if you're doing right. those kind of things if you're not a member of the nata the cope the committee on professional ethics for the nata not much we can do about that you also need to think about filing the claim to your state board of medicine and the boc so in that case would would you all be able to forward it on to the boc Sometimes we do that. Okay, yeah, I was just curious how that, that is. Yeah. You know, in yeah. case, you know, if people only think, unfortunately, there's still some, con I think, confusion out there of where the NATA and the BOC and all that mesh right. and what Two different and how entities. they don't mesh. Yeah, right. yeah. And so even to know that there's separate reporting structures, just right. uh, didn't know how much you guys, for lack of a better description, kind of scratch each other's back on those yeah. things. Yeah, so, yep. we work awesome. together. We try and support each other. For sure. I kind of already asked this last question, just, you know, what to do when in trying to avoid crossing any lines. But, you know, beyond that, what other things around this professional ethics, you know, would you want people to hear and know? You know, just by saying, hey, I got permission from this minor to post their picture and their injury on Facebook. Um, you may not truly have permission just because the kid says, yeah, I don't care if you post that. That's not permission. 
Uh, when mom and dad see their son or daughter posted on Facebook and they're not happy about it, you may have consequences to face. Um, so think about uh, what true permission is. Are you getting it in writing and getting authorization? And if it's a minor from their parents, um, think about the, the what the what is in the picture. You know, if you got a simple picture of just this much of the finger, probably not going to be able to identify that much in that um, unless that 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 game was televised or streamed online and everybody saw a number 14 come off holding their finger and you're posting hey at our game today number uh one of our athletes dislocate compound dislocation of the finger well now you just gave everybody what their injury was and they may not have wanted that out there so um you know if they're if they're being recruited by college scouts to play basketball and now they're, that college scout thinks, well, that finger's pointing the wrong direction. They can't catch a ball. They're not going to be able to play basketball. Not this year anyway. Well, they're not getting to lose a scholarship because of what you posted on social media. You know, things like that. We need to think about what we're posting and why. Um, yes, it's great to learn from different injuries. However, make sure you've got appropriate permissions from the patient and their parent, if they're a minor, to post that stuff on social media. Follow-up question to that, because I remember reading this specifically in the article too, not just public-facing social media, correct? Can people potentially report, you know, side group, sure. private, you know, direct messages and anything like that? Is that technically reportable? Any Anything where you're um, violating somebody's patient confidentiality, you're attacking a member, or making the NETA look bad, yeah, that any of that is reportable. Okay. And just because just because you think it's it's, um, I'm not a social media genius. I, I'm I, I'm gonna say I'm well experienced as opposed to saying I'm old. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I I gotta be honest. I really don't understand Instagram. I'm on there, but I don't understand how that platform works. And I know there's a couple others where supposedly when you post on it, it the your post only lasts like eight hours or something like that. Um, just because you think it's gone, it ain't gone. And just because you think you deleted it, who, who took a, uh, a screenshot of that of that post? And once that once that's out there, the WWW means World Wide Web. Worldwide. It's, it's all over the world now once you put it out there. And just because you deleted your post doesn't mean somebody hasn't tagged it and taken a screenshot and done other things that it can come back to bite you. So just because you deleted it doesn't mean it's gone. One more follow-up question, just in general, you mentioned the committee size of 27. If Is that like a cap or can the committee just continue to go if people are interested after hearing this, maybe wanting to help participate? How, how would that work? Well, the committee formation right now is we have one member from each district that's a district representative. Sure. And then we have another 11 at-large members, I'm sorry, non-district members um, that are filling a three-time renewable one-year um, term. So they're, they can be out for four years. So they, they will rotate as well as the uh, district members will rotate off after four years. And then we have five at-large members that have no term limits to them. And those are more experienced uh, within the committee. They had to have served a full term on the committee already to become an at-large member. So those five at-large members, um, they will rotate off when they're ready to rotate off. 
the other 22 will rotate off after a four-year term. Gotcha. Now, now they could do one year and go, because we see some some crazy stuff. And, and I can it's, imagine. It's challenging for our committee members, uh, their psychological well-being. Some of the things, some of the cases we've been on, you know, they may say, you know, after one year, I've had enough, I'm out. Um, so that may open up those spots, uh, but generally they're four-year rotations. Gotcha. Good to know. Anything else around ethical behaviors, social media related, or just in athletic training in general that we haven't covered? Ethically, it's, um, you know, it's we, we use a lot of words uh, quite often, and I bet if we asked everybody watching this to define some of those words, such as ethics and morals, What's the difference between ethics and morals? Morals are what we ourselves through our religion or lack of um, our upbringing, our moms and dads, our, our you know society, what we believe to be right and wrong. Ethics are what society says is right and wrong. So, you know, do we really need a law that says you don't need you, you're not allowed to kill people? But we have them because we need to serve the lowest common denominator. Don't be that lowest common denominator. Um, act professionally now that's another word what does professionally mean you know i quite often we see that the conversations on social media uh, i wore jeans to the work today well that's not professional and and now there's mm -hmm. now there's a fight over what's appropriate sure. you know you have to decide what's professional for you and and part of that in my opinion my definition of professional is being self-aware like there are some people that you know good crisp pair of jeans and a, and a nice polo or button down they look professional other people in a crisp button down and or a polo and a pair of jeans look like they're going to the bar or the golf course and not so professional. So you got to know what you look like. You know, you put me in a pair of leggings. I don't look professional. <laughs> Other people in leggings completely look professional. So, you know, you, you got to be self-aware about how you look and how you're presenting yourself as a professional. Um, and that carries over to how are you carrying yourself on social media um, in dealing with your patients in dealing with their parents. Um, and dealing with coaches, you know, if, if you're telling a coach, uh, you, you just notified me now that you don't, that you have a game tomorrow, I'm not going to be there. Well, if your contract says you've got to be there, you got to be there. And if you don't follow your contract, you're not, you're, you're, you could be violating the code of ethics because you're not practicing professionally and you're making the profession look bad. So, you know, think about how you're presenting yourself and, uh, how you carry yourself as a professional. And if you do the best you can professionally, you'll probably be okay. Um, I, I don't think anybody would uh, disagree with me that taking high school kids out to the woods to drink liquor and beer is professional. And that's touching, pretty... a, touching a patient inappropriately, and we all know what that means. It, you don't do those things, you're probably going to be okay. One kind of follow -up question, final question before we jump into the HE chat ones, and this can be in generalizations. Do you think people on social media around athletic training would be surprised by the amount of reports that come in or are they maybe not that frequent? Because I've just I've been rolling through my own head of just stuff I've seen or interactions I've been a part of. And I'm sure a lot of stuff qualifies, but obviously I have no idea how much that might get reported. Not everything gets reported, unfortunately. I and you know, it's kind of double-edged sword for me because the more that gets reported, the more work I have to do. Sure. Um, 
But, you know, if people are really being aggressive and inappropriate on social media, they should be reported because they are representing the NATA and your membership. Again, the problem is not all those people are members. So, you know, we, we do get significant number of reports, but a significant percentage of those we can't do anything about because those people that have either dropped their membership or never were members. So there's not much we can do about those. So I think a lot of people would be shocked at how many we get that we can't do anything about because they're not members. Fair enough. Oh, I'm going into the AT chat questions. Where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Obviously, you've seen a few things over the course of your time. What do you see coming up next? You know, um, I'm sure there'll be another uh, social construct that that affects well-being and healthcare. Um, in the next five years, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be shocked to see a major insurance overhaul. Um, how much does, you know, I don't foresee the next presidential election, so probably not the next five years, but I bet within the next two or three um, U.S. presidents, we see an overhaul of health care in general. Um, the, the catch is where does our NATA leadership get into that mix to include athletic trainers into the social well-being? Um, so I think that's one direction. Um I, you know, I think athletic training in general is stronger than most people think. Um, now, I, I'm old school in my mentality on where the profession should be. Um, and I know it's not going to be a popular opinion, um, but I think that the traditional route is where we belong. Um, I, I can remember probably in like 1996 or seven, um, I can remember a, a very large physical therapy chain went into one of our uh, power five conference schools and put in a bid uh, to be their healthcare professionals. And the athletic trainer, the whole athletic training community was outraged. That's our role. They don't belong in our role. And then the NATA comes out with a uh, research paper that says we can do um, orthopedic rehab better than physical therapists. Well, how do we think they're going to react to that? Um, and then we're pushing our way into um the clinical setting and the industrial setting where occupational therapists work. How we, how do we think they're going to react to that? Um, they're going to fight us and it's become a problem. They are fighting us. And that's a struggle that we have in the profession and trying to get some of our licensure. California can't get licensure because those organizations are fighting us. If we got along better with those organizations, maybe California has licensure. Maybe some other States have, um, laws mandating athletic trainers in a secondary school setting like dc and like hawaii but we're getting fought on those things um maybe if we got along a little better with our healthcare other healthcare professionals maybe we'd get further further access into those areas you know so but i i, I do believe athletic training is strong i believe that uh, our leadership is pushing us that way and i think i think we're going the right direction um, it's just how much are we thinning out our skill base by adding new proficiencies that maybe we shouldn't be doing. Should we be doing dry needling? Should we be doing suturing? Should we be doing uh, IV therapy? Um, you know, again, the old school of therapy is we shouldn't be breaking the skin. And I don't know. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know where I'm on that because I do, I, I'm on the fence on those, on all three of those things in that 
there are rehabilitative services that we can do. Um, you know, you, you hate to have to think about the uh, the active shooter scenarios where, but if we can we can administer an IV in one of those cases, maybe we save a life. You yeah. know, so should we have those skills? I think knowing them, I think, is a good thing. Should we be doing them daily? That's a different question. Agreed. What advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer if you could kind of set the timing and the scenario of that? When I was a young professional, I used to take a lot of the pushback from a patient, from a coach or a parent very personally. And there were there were days I get into a shouting match with a parent over, he's got a doctor's note, his doctor says he can play, and why isn't he playing? And I'm looking at the parent going, he just came out of cast and he can't walk without a limp. And you want to play full live tackle football? That's just not a good idea. And how dare you question me? I'm the professional here. And, th and then after some time, I kind of took a step back and realized that the coach, the parent, they want what they think is best for their athlete. And they want their athlete to be happy. They may not know what's best, but they want what's best. And sometimes if you take a step back and have a conversation with them, um, maybe things go a little differently and a little easier. Uh, the other thing that I learned is, um, you know, that parent or coach that's screaming at you, you know, I, I take it in a game, you know, the heated situation, coach screams back in, I don't take that nearly as personal. During the athletic training room, the coach comes in and he's nose to nose. Why the hell can't this kid play? He's, he's been cleared and I think he's safe to play. And, you know, and I've said to both coach and parent, I've actually hung up on a parent. I am adult. I'm not going to be intimidated by you screaming at me like I'm 15. If you've got a question, we can have a conversation. I'll answer your questions. Don't talk to me like that. And 95% of the time, like, oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't yelling at you. <laughs> you were, but that's okay. That's that, that's that's let's get it straightened out now and let's let's have a conversation. And then and then it turns into an adult conversation. Well, my doctor said he could play. Why can't he? Well, he just came out of a cast and he can't pass a functional evaluation. He can't run without a limp. He's going to hurt himself further. Oh, he didn't tell me that. He, Clear he doesn't in, mean ready. Right, right. Um, he came in with, and he told me he had 15 symptoms for his concussion. He told you that he felt fine. Well, what does fine mean? Well, fine is better than yesterday, but is he really okay to play? Sure. Oh, I didn't know he was having those symptoms. See, now we've had a conversation and, they, and they're hearing more, more of the information that we have as opposed to yelling at each other and I'm the professional and I know what he can and can't do. And I said, he can't play. I'm his parent. I said, he can't play. And, and that butting the heads, it's easier if you just have a conversation. So it's the, the advice I, I, I kind of learned and I wish somebody kind of had, had walked me through it, take a step back, take a deep breath and have a conversation and not a shouting match. And it kind of goes through to, to the Facebook as well. Take a step back and stop yelling at each other through the keyboard and have a conversation. Absolutely. How many people aren't willing to take it off off the uh, the Facebook group and actually talk about it? Right, right. What has been the most influential resource you have found in your career? My mentors. Um, you know, that, that mentor-mentee relationship. I'm still, like, like I said, I was at Syracuse Oof, way too many years ago. Uh, was it now 26 years ago now? No. No, 30 years ago, I was at Syracuse. And Tim Neal and Don Lowe, my mentors there, I'm still in touch with them. I reach out to them regularly. 
Um, I was at St. John's 25 years ago, still in touch with Ron Linfon. Uh, my mentors at, at uh, in in the secondary school setting. I'm still in touch with all of them, and and I'm still I'm gaining new. I'm gaining new mentors. Uh, I'm meeting with Tom Abner. Ab, I'm not saying his last name right. Abner on uh, Monday, and we're going to sit down and have lunch together. You know, and you know, reaching out and creating those relationships and maintaining those relationships. The former students that I have had that are now my peers, um, working with them and learning from them. It, you know, there are things in it, the, the college students now are learning things that weren't even invented when I was in college. So, you know, learning from them as well and, and what I've given to them, hopefully I've, they've given back to me and, and just maintaining those relationships are huge. As an 18 in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Um, not very well. Um, I, I'm one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those that uh, like I was at I was at work this morning for two hours, three hours. Uh, we got basketball games tomorrow night, and um, I'm I'm a I'm a proponent that you know our that setting that traditional setting is not a nine to five setting. Um, I try and take off when I can. I enjoy to cook. I enjoy skiing. I enjoy uh, playing sports myself, and and I get that from our athletes like. You know, I almost every sport, I'll go into the wrestling room and, and I'll roll around once in a while. I go out to the baseball field, take infield or I'll take batting practice. I'll, I'll have fun with our field hockey team. And I put on the goalie gear and get in the, get in the net. Um, that's about the only sport I'll play goalie on because those goalies are sick people. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the only sport that I haven't done is, is track and field because that's a sport that uh, every other sport does for punishment. And they're, they're, these people are doing it for fun. Yeah and, and, yeah. and that's what makes them such a tight, tight network of, you know, that, that the track athletes are a family. They're a tight family. Um, and that's probably what makes them so tight is they're doing what other people hate doing, you know? Um, but yeah, trying, just trying to find things, spending time with my wife and, and enjoying her time and, you know, those kind of things just, and, and again, I, I don't, I don't feel burned out. I never feel burned out because I'm passionate about what I do and, uh, I, I'm sure you're seeing that through this conversation, yep. um, but um, I, I don't, I don't go to work every day. I go and have fun. You know, I said, my, my student, you know, his student, you walk down the hall, Hey, Mr. Up, how you doing today? Uh, how's your day going? I get to spend day with you and get paid for it. <laughs> what could be better than that? You know? And that's really how I see, see my profession, my career is I'm spending time with people that I, that I love being with and uh, helping them be a little better and I get paid for it. What could be better than that? Yeah. It's a refreshing mindset. I appreciate you sharing that. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, anything of your choosing in athletic training, what would it be? I think the the battle for turf. The um, you know, disagreeing with a doctor or a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whatever. Um, I think if, if we as a profession work better with those those other healthcare professionals, I think we'll get a lot further. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, any modality, any tool, I, I, I'm not a fan of KT tape uh, and those, those kind of tapes. Um, but if it works for you and, and you're using it as a tool and, and you're educating your patients on it, good for you. Um, I can remember using magnets. And I still have some magnets. Um, and I, I don't know that our younger professionals have used magnets much, but you know, there, there's all these tools out there that 
you know, if they work for you and you're using them appropriately, you know, I don't think there's any one modality that's bad or good or um, they're all tools. And if you know how to use them, know when to use them and use them appropriately uh, and you're following any education you've had on them. Now, if you're going on YouTube and watching a cupping video and that you think that's how you're learning to cup, you may need to step, take a step back and, and take a course and be educated on it. Just watching a YouTube video ain't going to cut it. Um, you know, trying to do dry needling, watching a YouTube video ain't going <laughs> to cut it, you know? Um, so I've seen um, a few YouTube videos out there, even having some training and I yeah. wouldn't follow what they did on the YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's important that you're, you're being educated in, in what you're doing. But um, I, I think if we stop some of the, some of the turf wars, um, I think we'd all get a lot further and our, and our, and our patients would get better care. I very much believe there is an abundance of pretty much almost anything out there, but there is an abundance of people that need somebody's help in the medical care field. And sometimes we don't agree with how they got to you. Right. Uh, I work in an orthopedic clinic and the amount of people that we come in for knee and shoulder pain that have spent months at a chiropractor, not to, maybe they're helping them. But what we see, there's no, almost nothing that would have helped them. But, you know, they got to probably where they needed to be. But maybe they, how many people have never come to us because they never needed to? We'll never know. Right. Um, and there, right. there's just an abundance of people that are always going to need somebody. Sure. Yeah. And and when, you, when you're realizing what you're doing may not be worth it, be, be, be strong enough and have enough self-confidence to say, okay, I'm missing something. I need to get another set of eyes on this. Let, let, let's send you to a doctor. Let's send you to the chiropractor. Let's send you to the physical therapist. And they may see something I'm missing because this just isn't working. You know, you, you got to be self-confident enough to be able to do that because ultimately what should be the priority is the well-being of the patient. Absolutely. Last question. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? I, I think you've, I've mentioned it. It's, it's a passion for me and, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's a good thing. There's there's a lot of things that I probably do that aren't good things, uh, but it, it is part of who I am and what I am. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we all have those addictions and maybe, maybe maybe this is an addiction for me. I don't know, but um, I just enjoy what I'm doing too much to uh, to 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 take a step back. Um, and, and there will come a day. I'm not I'm not going to work and lose money, but at the same time, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see going anywhere anytime soon. And uh, I'm going to give the best care I can to my patients. And if, if anybody doesn't like the way I do that, they, they need to step up their, step up their ladder a little bit. And, uh, you know, rather than trying to drag me down. So. Understand that. If people wanted to reach out to you, connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Best way, I don't know. I'm out there pretty much quite a, quite a bit. On um, my contact is on the NATA website as the uh, committee chair for the committee on professional ethics. Um, my email is out there. Um, we have our OaktonAthletics.net website, and I'm I'm on there. I'm on the Oakton High School website. So I'm probably I bet if you Googled me, you'd find me as well. But simply enough, my email address is my first initial last name P Rupp at fcps.edu that's fairfax county public schools.edu um yeah and uh i think we all need to support each other and feel free to 
reach out to me. I'll do my best. I may not get to you right away because all we're in the heart of wrestling season and you know dealing with uh, wrestling issues. But um, I do my best to get. I if I if I don't usually I I respond to emails pretty quickly because if I don't, they get marked as red and all of a sudden they're in this long chain of emails that were read and it'll probably get forgotten so if you do email me and i don't get back to you relatively quickly email me again because it, it got in that chain and uh you, you know how that is they they just kind of disappear understand that yeah even when i mark them unread again somehow they still get buried so <laughs> yeah, yeah i get it well, I appreciate you taking the time elaborating on the article. Thank you again for writing the article uh, in the NATA News. Uh, if you're listening, haven't checked that out, please do. Um, if you're a non-member and you happen to hear this, this was a really good summary of kind of a lot of things that were covered in there. Uh, so I just want to say thank you again for doing that and for taking the time to talk more about it. And if you're a non-member, consider being a member. There's definitely that going on right now. This will be out before the renewal end of the year renewal is up. So uh, be sure to ch check that out as well. So, thank you again. Absolutely. Uh, I enjoy doing it, man. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Paul Rubb. I hope you got a lot out of it and just got a better understanding of what the ethics look like around the NATA and how what they do is limited scope of basically people having to belong to the NATA, but the process, what that looks like, how it comes to be, and what their actual goals are. I know I learned a lot from it. I knew it existed, but never really dug into what it was all about or how it works, so it was enlightening for me as well. As always, thank you to Mueller Sports Medicine for powering the podcast and their support of us in the athletic training profession. If you haven't yet checked out the Athletic Training Daily Journal, it can make a great holiday gift. If that's something that you're interested in or maybe wanting to start for the coming of the new year, uh, it's meant to be geared towards athletic trainers to just reflect personally and professionally, challenge my questions that hopefully get you thinking a little bit more and maybe um, can help just evolve some thought processes in the future. Um, if not, maybe a couple good quotes in there that you can use with somebody that you know, uh, if nothing else. So check that out um, on Amazon or for a full free 14-day sample clinicallypress.org backslash shop is where you can find that no payment info required i uh, just have to enter some information to download it thanks again for listening